0: Join us every week for a lighthearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a diehard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get
1: your podcasts at Seventh Heaven, a Lesbian Recap.
0: She
2: basically said, if You're not my kid. Whatever you need, you're going to have to figure that out yourself and get it for yourself.
1: Michelle. Hey, darling, How are you? I'm very tired. How are you? Why are you so tired? I had a very busy week slash weekend. I was off, but I did a lot of things. And then yesterday, we had a yard sale. And the day before, I didn't sleep well. And then I was up really early and I just didn't stop going at all yesterday. And then I could said therapy. And then after the yard sale, I had to bring everything in and then clean the basement. And it was like a whole thing. So,
0: yeah. I had on all my work. list to, to ask how
1: your week off was. Yeah, it was pretty good. I actually am really glad that I took this week off because I got to go to the school like every day to do pick up and drop off. And so I got to meet a lot of the parents and in the other schools, I haven't really been able to do that because of work. So it was nice to meet my kids, friends, parents and chat with them and exchange phone numbers. So it was good. This is what
0: I'm learning Well, I get to experience now, not that I'm learning, but but so Wyatt started a new school, and we want to make it a priority to meet some of the parents and like exchange numbers because yeah. if he's like, oh, I want to have a play date, or like it, yeah. it's just you need to know what these parents,
1: what their deal is, right? Michelle,
0: what, what? are <laughs> what Our Facebook Messenger just got an image
1: no why
0: i don't know you guys i just my phone was like like you have a facebook messenger to our podcast messenger and i opened it and there is a not safe for work like an 18 plus adult content photo
1: unsolicited oh who is this i am shook this is oh my too god. much oh my god do
0: i respond
1: <gasps> no With just like i a, don't it just Ooh. flashed on mine now too we both oh, have it now i don't know why You're i'm not- opening it because i already know what, it
0: is. what if it's like one of what if it's a listener and
1: they accidentally sent it oh no that would be i just clicked on his profile and he is from new york self-employed Oh my god,
0: sorry everybody. Okay. I can't...
1: what were we talking about?
0: <laughs> I don't know. You had a... Oh, we god, we were talking about getting parents' phone numbers for play. Oh, I know. No, it's been good. We have been struggling, so there's like a bus driver shortage. So yes. if you're in Calgary and need a job, you should be a bus driver because Absolutely. We get like a text message every morning and Olivia's bus has been between 120 and 180
1: minutes delayed. That's crazy.
0: And like school doesn't wait. And it's a 40-minute bus drive. So some of these kids that don't have another option are missing a few hours of school every day. And then coming home, it's been about 80 minutes delayed. And so like luckily, we are a three- adult parenting team and we've been trying we're doing our best to just make it work either driving her or picking her up Mm -hmm. but I recognize that's a privilege not a lot of parents have absolutely and it's crazy like how does this happen how do we run out of bus drivers
1: yeah I don't know what happens when you don't have an option is your kid just waiting at the school for an hour and a half or waiting at the bus stop for an hour and a half that's insane I think I'm gonna change careers yeah just be a bus driver it was a thought in my mind to do that when I had three kids at home because really there was no other job that I could have where I had three kids at home and I needed daycare when my husband was alive. Like we made too much money for subsidy. The only job I could get is where I could bring my kids with me. But the thought of driving around a bunch of children makes me want to drive into a ditch. So yeah. I don't think that would.
0: It's not be for great. everyone. No. It's not for everyone. It's
1: just not the job for me. I um, can, I barely have patience when I'm just driving myself around. I can't drive around a bunch, like a bunch of children.
0: Yeah, I've been witness to this. I have a question about your Facebook status that I just saw. Oh. Why do you need a tetanus shot and have you gone?
1: No, I haven't gone yet. You know on Facebook when you post things but you don't really want to know the answer because you don't actually want to follow through
0: with it? Yeah, why'd you post it then?
1: I don't know. Okay. Just because I was curious, I could have Googled it, but I, so yesterday we had a yard sale and I sold my, one of my couches and a table to this, these people, the same people. I was helping them get it into the trailer, but I was wearing Burks and Somehow the trailer, like the down part of the trailer, like the ramp of the trailer sliced my foot, like the bottom of my foot. It got, went in between like my sandal and my foot and it sliced my foot. Didn't really bleed a lot. and wasn't super deep, but it really hurts. And then I'm thinking like, do I need a tetanus shot? Because it's a dirty metal trailer. Yeah. But then I got to thinking I've only ever, I only remember hearing you need a tetanus shot if you like step on a nail or something like that. So I'm like, how do you know if you need a tetanus shot? What? No, I got From bit by a dog once and I had to
0: have a tetanus shot. Oh, really?
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, so I got a tetanus shot 12 years ago when Adrian was a baby because they just asked me if I wanted one. Right. And I felt like a jerk being like well, I'm going to make my kid get needles and I'm going to say no. So yeah, so it's been over 10 years. So I think I need to go get one. What are the symptoms of tetanus? Is it like lock jaw and stuff like that or am I, think I thinking so. rabies? No, I think that's lock jaw. <laughs> oh, it's happening. It's starting. Yeah, not great. So, yeah, I think my foot really hurts, honestly. I cut it basically like in between my pinky and my other toe. It's not like a big cut. It's just like in a bad spot, you know? Right. So, yeah, that's. I was trying to do a good deed by helping carrying a couch, and now I might lose my foot. (laughs) Well, we'll have you on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Did not sign up for this.
0: Yeah. You know what people should sign up for? Tell me. Our
1: Patreon. Yeah. Yeah, very good.
0: Yeah, we're having so much fun over there. So, if you can't get enough of us, if you're mm-hmm. really enjoying this podcast, if you want to do a good deed and support the work that we do and support Michelle's foot amputation, <laughs> then you should join our Patreon. It's a monthly subscription and we have 3 tiers to choose from and each mm-hmm. tier comes with a plethora of benefits. And you get two bonus episodes every single month that you're never going to hear on the main feed. And we just recently launched our third tier includes a video episode called Wet Wednesday. And it it is coming out this Wednesday, September 14th. So right after this episode.
1: Yeah. And we just this past weekend, we released a new Patreon. So yeah. Really, if you're on our top tier level, you're getting three bonus episodes a month. A month, yeah.
0: It's a great way to get to know us a little better because- oh, totally. You know, we kind of let our hair down, so to speak. We do. And we have guests on. So we had Jody and Amanda from We Love to Hate. TV.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: we've had Julie from the Resting Bitch Face pod. Justine, Justine from, from Shore, Shore Store.
1: Shore Store. Yeah. So it's super fun. How was your week?
0: It was good. It really is just getting into the groove of things with school starting and yeah. figuring out this bus thing. We're trying to do less screen time
1: mm-hmm.
0: in the evenings. And yeah. so Lindsay tried to teach us Euchre, which is like a card game. We think maybe why it's a bit too young for it. And Lindsay had to learn yesterday that I am embarrassingly slow at learning new games. My brain just does not compute. It takes a lot of repetition and explaining. And then once I get it, I'll remember it. And it's great. But for some reason, learning a new game, I just can't. It's so hard.
1: Similar to me explaining to you a popular trend on TikTok.
0: A hundred percent. My brain's just like, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if I'm into this.
1: I have never played euchre before. I feel like my husband was such a board game player and card game player, and he was so good at thinking like twelve steps ahead and like making like logical moves. And I would just be like, "I'm gonna move here because I feel like it." Like it just wasn't. Yeah, it never it was never fun playing board games with him because he literally always won, and he never liked playing games of chance. He only liked playing games that required like logic. And I'm like, I just I'm not smart enough to play these games.
0: Yeah. No, it's fun. I think we're going to maybe switch to Crazy Eights. Oh, yeah. When we gave up on Euchre for the night, we started just coloring as a family and it was so dorky and adorable. And like our time is limited where it will be an activity that our preteen wants to do. Before I forget, we have a trigger warning for this episode. So this episode talks about child sexual abuse and sexual assault and so it doesn't go into great detail but i think it's always important to us to put this out there because we want people to be in the right headspace when they when they listen and only listen if it's something that's going to be okay for you
1: and take care of yourself after if you do listen yeah all right let's get into it okay sounds good okay bye
0: bye Hello, Cassie. Hi. How are you? I'm good.
2: How are you two?
0: Good. I have a bit of a summer cold, but that's just life. Yeah.
1: We're good. Weekend, but we're good. Yeah. Good.
0: Yeah, busy's all right. It's a long weekend here for us in Canada, and you're in Canada, so you get a nice long weekend. Yes. Yeah. I'm
2: loving it. Yeah.
0: I mean I do appreciate that we get so many long weekends. Seems like through the summer. The government was like, these people need time off and a few <laughs> long weekends for us, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for reaching out to us. And I'm so glad we were able to make this work. Yeah. And thank
2: you for having me on here. I just got to a point in my life where I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to talk about all the stuff that's happened. And hopefully it helps someone else feel less alone.
0: Yeah. Less crazy. yeah I think there's something really powerful when you're when you get to a point I felt that with my own story that I was like okay yeah it actually feels like time that I share it and it's therapeutic and cathartic absolutely I know before when we were talking I mentioned when
2: I was able to actually write about my story and have that feel
0: good then I knew
2: okay I'm ready to start sharing I'm ready to start talking about
0: it That's incredible. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. I would love it if you introduce yourself, maybe tell us a bit about who you are, where you are, what you do, and then we'll get into where your story begins. Okay. Sounds good. So yeah, my
2: name is Cassie. I am a 34-year-old mental health and addictions counselor. I work in harm reduction in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. I'm a survivor of sexual trauma. Recently, my brother was transferred into my care after being released from jail for a sexual
0: crime. So yeah, it's been a wild year. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. That's a lot. Do you want to maybe share a bit about how you grew up and your childhood and how that led to some of the more recent developments like the last year? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
2: I'll try to explain this in a way that is less like the least amount complicated (laughs) as possible. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's hard to follow because it's all over the place. I'm just going to dive into it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was born in Fort St. John, B.C., far north up in B.C. My grandparents raised me until I was 12. Yeah. So like my family is all originally from Southern BC, lower mainland area, like Kamloops, but, but yeah, my grandparents ended up moving up to Northern BC for work. And anyway, when my mom was 17, she got pregnant with me. She had this brief affair with a 29 year old man who struggled with alcoholism. And looking back now, I can see my mom was a very vulnerable person and I, I think she may have just been in a rough situation that he took advantage of Mm -hmm. you know my mom has cerebral palsy she had a stroke Mm -hmm. when she was born she's going through severe depression she was just coming out of like years of like being in court after being sexually assaulted and it was yeah she was in a bad place he just took advantage of that and then she was pregnant with me She went through like a period of time where she thought she wanted to get an abortion, but her dad, my grandpa, was not okay with that. It was against his beliefs and he convinced her to keep me and he decided that him and my grandma would raise me. And at the time, was she living with them? No. So she had actually been out of the home since age 14, I believe, where she was described by my grandparents as like a troubled teenager. But she'd been through a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. at a young age and she lived with a disability and she was taken advantage a lot of a Mm, lot by people. because of her disability, unfortunately. So she got into partying and she would kind of run away from home a lot and just disappear and go missing. My grandma eventually just dropped her off at a group home and signed her over and walked away from it. So my mom just ended up being in and out of group homes and then just crashing wherever. She had a bit of a rough few years there. I think she was processing a lot of her own pain and didn't really know how. But anyways, my grandparents ended up raising me till I was 12. For the most part, it was, you know, cozy and it was home. And I loved my grandparents so much. My grandpa was an awesome father figure. Like he spent as much time with me as he could, but he was a stoner and he smoked a lot of weed. (laughs) And he owned his own automotive business. And so he was really busy working long hours. And my grandma worked with him, and like, in the automotive business as well. And they were very loving people. My grandma suffered from a lot of, like, mental health struggles. as She had a pretty traumatic upbringing as well. Yeah. She was very codependent and emotionally unstable. And she needed me a lot to help her, like, manage her own emotions. And my grandpa was very, like, his way or the highway, mm. perfectionist you couldn't make a mistake that wasn't acceptable yeah. you had to be a certain way to get love. Yeah. Right. And I think I like picked that up early on. And so I learned how to like mold myself to be like what people needed in my life. And did you know that they were your grandparents? Yeah. They told me from a young age that like to call them, I called them like I called my grandpa gramps and I called my grandma Nan. Okay. Yeah. And So that's who they were to me. I knew my mom. She wasn't around. She was like in and out, I think the first couple years of my life. And then she moved to Edmonton and we're still in Fort St. John. And I remember going to visit her and there was a degree of violence in that home. She had met my stepdad and I'd go visit there. And there was some physical violence and verbal altercations. Like they were always like screaming and yelling and swearing. Mm -hmm. And and that was so scary for me because that wasn't the way it was at my grandparents' house. I remember when I would visit, they had a son together, my little brother. There was one time when my mom shoved my stepdad and then he shoved her back and she tripped and fell into the coffee table and our cereal on the coffee table spilled. My brother's crying and I just took him into the bedroom and tried to calm him down and protect him. And so that, that was often the way it was when I was at my mom's house. They ended up moving back to Fort St. John. I started to alternate weekends and I was pretty young. Like I was probably four or five when this started. And I would go to her house some weekends And then my biological dad met my stepmom, and she decided that I needed to be a part of their life, whereas I didn't know my dad really before that. I don't even know if I had met him, so she started picking me up, and every other weekend I would alternate back and forth between my mom and my dad's house. And so that, that got a little bit chaotic for me, but I didn't really have a choice. And then being at my dad's house was like, he would basically, what I understand now Is, like, sexual harassment. He would sexually harass women in front of me. And then later on, they had a son together. My little brother and my stepmom, like, we would be in the car together. And he'd be, like, yelling at women, like, out of the window and whistling at them and, like, making comments at them my stepmom wouldn't say anything that's just the way it was it was deeply uncomfortable and that's the way he was like we go to a restaurant and he would slap the waitress's ass even as a young kid i was just like so embarrassed and uncomfortable with this Mm -hmm. and when family was around no one would say anything so i grew up in this world where it's like oh this is i guess this is the way it is and sometimes we would go to the Mennonite colony where my stepmom was from like a few times a year when it was like big holidays yeah. and she had 17 brothers and sisters oh wow. my god and, yeah and some of them had 15 kids so oh god the family gatherings out there were like small towns yeah basically. yeah her parents farm was just like this massive gathering of just like immediate family I hated going out there. I just dreaded it. I felt so uncomfortable. It was just such a weird world to me. When I was about seven years old, when I would go out into the farmyard and play with my many cousins, and we'd play catch the flag or whatever, hide and seek, my stepmom's dad would start coming out, and he would just line it to exactly where I was. It's, he must have been watching me and see where I was hiding or like where I was and when I was alone he would go and he would just like grab me and just hug me so tight that I could barely breathe and he wouldn't say a thing it was just this rigid awkward awful thing in my mind it's this would go on forever and then he'd let me go and I would just I just felt like I just felt scared and I couldn't explain it and like how do you say that to someone like oh my step grandpa's hugging me and I'm uncomfortable yeah, yeah you no know, yeah. like it's hard to really explain and from like you know probably the time when you guys grew up but like yeah. me too where yeah. when a family member is like tickling you or hugging you or whatever they're family and so yeah. you're obligated yeah. to go along with it not so I would raise my kids now yeah but yeah I started to notice this pattern so I stopped going outside I stopped playing with my cousins and my stepmom would get annoyed with me and be like go go play And be like, oh, I just want to help you, or I just want to do it, you know? Yeah. And so there was this one day, my son was like, go play, like, get out of here. She's drying dishes, washing and drying dishes with a few of her sisters in the kitchen. And so there's a wall just around the corner from the kitchen, and it's, like, still in the dining room, and there's a chair there. So I just sat there by the wall so I could be close to her, but without having to go outside. Yeah. And then suddenly... Mm -hmm. Before I realize what's happening, he's gripped my arm and he's dragging me down the stairs into the basement and he throws me into the dark cold cellar. And this is all just happening like in an instant where it's hard for me to even like process what's going
0: on. Uh
2: And it's like survival mode kicked in and I just bolted out the door. Before he could grab me again. And I ran upstairs as fast as I could. And he was chasing after me and he was like, Get back down here. I need to show you something. I'm going to show you something. Get back down here. And I was like, No. I ran into the kitchen, grabbed a towel, and I was like, I'm going to help you dry dishes. I just want to help. Oh, my my God. Yeah. And did That's your awesome. stepmom know? I did not tell her about this. Until actually, what is it, September now? Three months ago. Wow. Uh, I'll go over the rest of the story, like what what happened with her. But yeah, three months ago, we ended up just having a talk. And she drove from Fort St. John to Saskatoon, just so like we could talk in person about everything that's happened.
0: Wow. And
2: just get the truth. And I'll tell you, it was the most difficult conversation I've ever had, and probably her too. i We were both physically ill by the end of it. Oh like, God! I went upstairs with my mom, and I was like, it, "It was a lot." But anyway, yeah. In that conversation, I told her about the stuff that I was experiencing at her parents' farm, and and yeah, I don't know. She shared some things with me, and I was just like, "Okay, it makes sense." Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, it all connected. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like in not only was it like a time in the world or in Canada where we didn't talk about those things, Mm -hmm. but she came from a Mennonite colony where you extra don't talk about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you don't talk about feelings. You don't talk about mental health, but Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, that was like my childhood growing up with my grandparents during the week and then doing all this stuff on the weekends. And then at age 12, everything just suddenly fell apart. It felt sudden to me, but there was a buildup. When I was 11, I found out that I had a sister, an older sister that I didn't know about. So I was 11 and she was like 19-ish at the time. So was this your dad's daughter? Yeah, my biological dad's daughter. So my biological dad ended up having three different kids with three different women out of those three kids, I'm the middle one. Because he was such a raging alcoholic when he was like earlier on, when he was dating my sister's mom, she got pregnant. He kind of took off and went on to the next and she didn't let him know that she was pregnant because she didn't want him to have anything to do with her, her child. And so it wasn't until I was 11 anyways, that I found this out. By that time, he'd already known for years that he had this daughter and he had met her a few times. Then I was made aware, and I don't know why it was kept a secret from me. It was weird. I found out that she wanted to get to know me and hang out, and I thought, this is so cool, because I've always wanted a big sister. Yeah. This is going to be amazing. And she was really cool and, like, Beautiful long blonde hair, like just this gorgeous girl. And I'm like, oh, this is gonna be amazing. So she started coming over to my grandparents' house and like hanging out with me and taking me out places. And her and my grandpa ended up getting along really well. Strangely, they became really close friends. My grandpa was a really cool person, he wasn't yeah. like a crusty old grandpa, he was like <laughs> a hippie, hot smoking. Herbalist, really smart, wrote all the time, wrote up all of these different, like, essays on things. Like, he was really interesting. So, my sister was really into herbalism as well. They just hit it off. And she was having a tumultuous time with her boyfriend. She needed to get out of his house. My grandpa's like, Oh, just move in with us. So, she is suddenly now living with us. (laughs) Then, my grandpa starts dividing, like, we. We lived on an acreage and in the back, like behind the house, we had this massive four bay garage where my grandpa ran his business out of. Suddenly they were like building this wall and dividing the garage into two different units. And then he started growing like all of these plants that I later found out was marijuana with my sister so yeah they were really into herbalism Um, and then yeah they like had all these lights brought in and like i had no idea what was happening he told me they were tomato plants and (laughs) just told
0: me i was never allowed to go in there
2: yeah And like at a certain point i'm like "Gramps, where's the tomatoes yeah yeah
0: we don't need a a really long time to grow yeah (laughs) yeah
2: and around the time when i started asking him about the tomatoes the plants started getting mites
0: oh no and then
2: that really quickly turned into these mites apparently like burrowing under my grandparents' skin and my sister's skin. I think it's like a scabies type <gasps> situation. Or something. Oh, thought- and okay, disclaimer I don't really know for sure what the actual truth is. Right about what happened around this time. Because as I replay the story, even in my own head, I'm like, this sounds insane. Did this happen? But yeah, so they started getting like these like pink dots all over their skin and these were biting them under their skin and like hatching eggs or whatever. This is what they were telling me. We plasticed all of the furniture We cut off all, like, connection with anyone. We stopped because they could transfer to other people. They pulled me out of school for three months. I'm in grade seven. I remember having to, like, this is where things get really weird because my grandpa said that, like, the mice were attacking their nervous systems. Looking back now, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's how that works. But looking back now, something was going on where I know my grandparents were experiencing some kind of paranoia or like mentally something was going weird. Yeah. And I don't know why or what was causing that. Maybe it was ditch weed. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. They started getting like really paranoid and just acting frantic and just mm-hmm. unhinged and they were fighting constantly with my sister. Everyone was fighting and, and they're all paranoid of each other, accusing each other of all kinds of different things they would make me sit in our bathtub naked for hours, covered in honey. And they would say like, this will kill any of the eggs if the mites have burrowed into your skin. And then they would cover me in like this gross smelling neem oil. And they'd be like, this will do it. Like this will protect you. And they're doing all these weird treatments and ordering these expensive, weird alternative medicine machines that emitted frequencies that will kill the mites and like things got out of hand. So wow. then one day they sat me down and they said, so we are losing everything. We are claiming bankruptcy. We've lost the house. We've lost the business and we're packing up everything that we can into our motor home. And we're going to go live in our motor home down in a hundred mile in a junkyard. And you have to decide where you're going to live and what you're going to do. And you're 12. Yeah. I was obviously just very shocked. Like I was not expecting this to happen. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know where I was supposed to go or live. I didn't feel comfortable staying at my dad's house. My mom terrified me. I would go there and watch her beat the daylights out of my little brother with whatever object was nearest. She would snap at me, yell at me, swear at me. It was scary. I didn't want to go there either. And Mm -hmm. they said that my aunt, my cool aunt, my mom's sister, who lived in Kamloops, agreed to have me stay with her if I wanted to. And I was like, oh, yeah, definitely. She's this cool hairdresser, like great fashion, like used to be a model. I thought, oh, she's so cool. Yeah, I definitely want to go live with her. So I packed up a suitcase full of just like stuff for the summer, went and stayed with my mom who at this point lived in Canmore, Alberta, not too far from where you guys are at. (laughs) Stayed with her for the summer, and she made me work at Wendy's with her all summer. She was a supervisor (laughs) there. I had just turned 13 at this point, and she just kind of tampered with the paperwork and said that I was 14. I was angry with her at the time because I didn't want to work full time. I wasn't used to this independence, where we get off at 11 p.m. or 2 a.m. closing, and then I'd have to walk up, like across, like down the highway and across the town to back to her house alone at age. Oh one. my gosh. god! I, I was scared, but god. whatever, did it, it toughen me up quite a bit, <laughs> and I made I made some money, which I was thankful for because when I I ended up at my aunt's house in Kamloops in September. She lived in this gorgeous old character home, like hundreds of years old, but it has one of those like sketchy, dark, dingy basements, just like concrete and yeah. tons of spiders.
1: Yeah.
2: And they had just built this makeshift little bedroom down there with like oh, some God. wood panels. Oh no. Yeah. and Then they just they put this like old antique bed in there and then that was it. That was my room. And she basically said, you're not my kid and whatever you need, you're going to have to figure that out yourself and get it for yourself. Oh God. Did she have and kids? So I, she did. Yeah. And so I quickly learned that she wanted me there because she needed a live-in nanny right. and she wanted me to clean her house and she wanted me to look after her kids and like all this stuff. So I bought myself some bedding and a dresser and some clothes because just before I arrived in Kamloops, my grandparents told me that all of our belongings before we like, moved out of our house in Fort St. John, we packed into wooden crates and we sent down to my grandpa's nephew's sawmill mm. to store it there. The sawmill, of course, caught on fire oh. and 95% of our belongings burned, so... All I had was my suitcase of summer stuff Yeah, and I bought myself some clothes, started a new school and went through like a year and a half of, like the timeline's kind of sketchy for me. There are like certain memories that I have that are like super vivid where I Mm can remember exact words. And then there's other memories where it's like foggy or blacked out and just like the timeline thing's a bit weird for me. So it might not be accurate saying that it was a year and a half, Mm might have been two years but regardless, during that time, I experienced a lot of verbal and emotional abuse. She would make me clean the kitchen every single night after dinner. And if there was a speck in the sink, if it wasn't polished to perfection, she would punish me by making me do more chores till 10 p.m. at night. Oh. I would have to like vacuum the whole house every five days. And if there was a speck of dust, she would yell at me and call me a useless waste of skin that I was never going to amount to anything. I was like, okay, he's just using me. She doesn't even want me here. I started to get really depressed. And did you feel
1: stuck? Like you couldn't say, oh, like I want to go live with my dad or my mom. Did you feel like there was no other option for you? Yeah, I did feel like
2: I think I just put up with it were quite a bit longer than I actually wanted to because I didn't have anywhere better to go. Yeah. And my grandparents are still living in the junkyard in their motorhome. And I would go visit them on, like, long weekends and stay in the motorhome with them. And it made me really sad. And I would cry when I had to leave them because I missed them. Aww. But I was I think I was also just grieving the loss of my home. Yeah. There was, like, one night in particular at my aunt's house where... I knew that I could not be there anymore. I was just being like verbally abused like all evening. Yeah. And she was just tearing me to shreds, destroying any shred of self-esteem that I had created for myself and brought my uncle into it. And I just felt like they were just gaslighting me they're like, why are you so bad? Like, why are you so awful? We do so much for you. And we've taking you into our home and you can't even vacuum the house properly. You complain about babysitting the kids every day and it's the least that you could do for us. I was like, and I was a pretty quiet kid. Like I was pretty good. I was just like crying. And I was like, it just hurts my feelings. Like when, you know, I'm called names. Like when you say these things to me and they would just gaslight me and gaslight me. And, And so I was up like all night, just like crying. And the next morning I called my, biological dad and I was like I can't be here anymore I need you to come get me and he's like absolutely came down we just like packed whatever we could fit into his car drove back to Port St. John for the first time in my life I was living with my dad and my stepmom oh. Oh,
1: wow. were you going to school regularly during all this like all the switching of houses and-, yeah. and did you find like school was a safe place for you or Was it hard because you were switching all the time?
2: Yeah, at first it was terrifying. I had like debilitating anxiety the first month of school. My aunt put me in a Christian school in Kamloops. I was a new kid. All these kids have grown up together. And so I didn't really have any friends. I didn't really fit in. I would just eat my lunch alone in the halls. And then... One day I was like in computer class and I I cracked a joke to one of the popular girls that was sitting beside me and she's like, Oh my God, you're funny. And then we became like best friends. then, At that point, I made some really close friends, a few really close friends at school and then school became a fun place for me. And then I enjoyed it. And it was really hard to leave the school and my friends I didn't want to but yeah I moved to Fort St. John then I started like right off the bat I started what I now understand as like experiencing sexual harassment by my biological father I'd like get dressed up to go to a school dance and he'd be like wow you look really hot in that mm-hmm. skirt oh you have such sexy legs I'm 14 years old oh, like and his daughter and I would feel, yeah, yeah I felt so uncomfortable and I would say Please don't say that. Like, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. And he would just touch me in ways that, like, creep me out. And I would ask him not to. And he wouldn't stop. His friends were creepy. And, like, they would harass me. Soon after, I started, like, experiencing, like, actual sexual abuse from yeah. my biological father. It, it would all happen in the middle of the night. And when I was sleeping, it was just, yeah, it was just really, it was just really awful. Yeah. I found, like, I was always in freeze. And I hated myself for that for a long time, for years. I hated that I didn't protect myself and that I didn't do anything. That I just, I felt paralyzed and I would just pretend that it wasn't happening. I would just leave my body. Yeah. One night something just snapped and I just, it's like I just broke out of that state and I just started pounding on him. I just started punching him in the face and wow. screaming. I just started screaming at the top of my lungs. And I felt completely out of control of my body. Like I felt something had taken over my body and was like doing these things. And I was just watching it happen. He ran out of the room and I couldn't stop screaming. I was just screaming, crying, bawling, screaming. And my stepmom runs down the hall and she's like, what's going on? And I just blurted it out. I just told her, this is what's happening to me. She went and talked to him. And he said, Oh, I'm really sick. I'm feverish. And I just went into the wrong room. And she came back and she told me that. She said, No, that's not what was happening to you. Like, he's just sick.
1: Yeah.
0: He
2: was just confused. And I said, No. And I was just screaming. And I couldn't make myself stop. I couldn't stop. And she sat up all night holding me while I was just crying and screaming. And the next morning, my eyes were swollen shut. From crying so much. And I barely had a voice. She said, you better hurry up and get ready for school. You can't be late. Yeah, Put a cool yeah. cloth on your eyes. Yeah. And they continued to act like everything was normal. Mm-hmm. And they just played like nice little family. And I sunk into a deep depression. Something in me just died. Yeah. And I was dating my first boyfriend at the time. I was like 16. He noticed a huge change in me. And he's like, I don't know what's going on, but like for months, you have been not yourself. He would always ask me, what's going on? And I would, I'd be like, nothing, I'm fine, I'm fine. Finally, he said to me, he's like, look, I have a bad feeling, like something's going on, and if you won't talk to me, then you have to call your mom, and you have to tell your mom, and I'm not going to hang out with you again until you do this. Oh, wow. Thank God he said that. Yeah. I don't know how many 17-year-old boys would have that.
1: Oh, totally.
2: He saved me there. And so I called my mom and I just blurted it out. I knew that if I didn't just say it the minute she answered the phone, then I never would. Of course, she lost it because she she went through the same thing when she was my age. Not with a family member, but she'd gone through abuse of of her own. And she got on the next Greyhound bus and she went straight to Port St. John from Canmore. And she said... Over the phone she's like get out of the house right now pack a bag go to your best friend's house and don't leave until i get there don't talk to that like just stay yeah. there and so i did that i told my best friend what was going on my mom arrived my boyfriend took me and my mom to my dad's house and she sat at the table with my stepmom and my dad and i stood in the kitchen with my beside my boyfriend. And my mom just went off on them. And she was like, how dare you? You're supposed to protect her. You're her father. For God's sakes, what's wrong with me? you? You low yeah, yeah. like And she turned to my stepmom and she's like, how could you allow this? How could you allow this to happen? How could you be complicit in this? And she was like, never, ever talk to her again without her consent. Like, wow. never want her again. You leave her alone. Then she helped me move into my own apartment with my best friend. Then she went back to Canmore. And I was already working at Booster Juice at the time. So I just started working 35 hours a week. And going to school. Yeah, and going to school. I was determined to finish high school to graduate. And so I just struggled I just worked every day after school. I didn't have a vehicle because I didn't have my driver's license. Yeah. And I had no way of getting my driver's license. I was too busy working mm-hmm. and didn't have an adult to help me. So I would just like run to school in the morning, run to work from school. And then I would like walk home at 10.30, 11 p.m. at night. And then I work on the weekends. And then I also played in a punk rock band with my best friend. I ended up getting engaged at age 18 to the boyfriend to my first boyfriend yeah and then we got married when I was 19 I think for me I was just really looking for that stability for family Mm -hmm. and I loved his family and we ended up moving back to Kamloops after we got married when I was 19 me and my husband and we lived there for a year I was playing in bands there I hated being married and I didn't really like him anymore (laughs) yeah
0: yeah yeah I told myself
2: you're married, you gotta, this is your life now. I had resigned yeah. myself to like, no, this is the rest of your life. I'm 19 years yeah. old. Yeah. And then one day he sits me down and he's like, I'm cheating on you, actually. I've fallen in love with someone else and I'm not gonna break up with them. Because like, he was just a kid uh, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. was. But he came from a super religious family, mm-hmm. a Mennonite family, actually, oh, wow. that lived on the outskirts of the Mennonite colony that I actually went to growing up. Oh, gosh. Weirdly enough. He knew that his family would be devastated if we got a divorce. Mm-hmm. So he basically was like, look, this is what's up. I'm having this relationship. I'm not going to end it, but we can't get divorced. So this is the situation we're in and we just have to roll with it. And I was like, no, end that. Like, no, 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 no. He proceeded to tell me like all the things that he didn't like about me, all the things that he didn't find attractive about me and why he cheated on me and how it was my fault. And... I was, I just lost it. I was like, no, very calmly. I just got up. I packed a bag and I went to my grandparents' house, which was by this point, my grandparents had moved into like low income apartment Mm. and we had an apartment right beside theirs. Our units were beside each other. Oh
0: wow. (laughs) Oh my gosh.
2: I went next door to my grandparents and I stayed there. We ended up getting a divorce. That was the end of that. Yeah. I ended up dating Lee guitarist in the band that I was in for a year and a half. That was the first time I ever fell in love. And then he broke up with me, and then I put myself through aesthetic school, and then I was homeless for a few months. Then, to save myself from homelessness, I ended up going to stay with my stepdad in Canmore. Right around this time, my mom had just left my stepdad and moved to Hinton, Alberta. We found out that she'd been cheating on him with guys online for a long time, and he was devastated. And he was working full time and raising my two younger brothers, my youngest of which is on the spectrum, has an intellectual disability. And so my stepdad's like, yeah, come live with me. You won't have to pay rent, but you can get a good aesthetics job out here. It'll help with your brother too. And so I did that. But the first two weeks that I was there, one of my old friends from high school in Fort St. John reached out to me. And he was like, hey, I'm in Calgary. Like, you should come visit. I don't know anyone around here. So I went to Calgary and crashed at his house. And it was so fun. We were just partying all the time. He introduced me to his friends who became my best friends. And like, having a blast. I ended up just like staying at his house for two weeks. Uh And the one day he told me, you know, I've always been in love with you. Since we were 15, I have Uh been in love with you. And I still am. And I said, I don't really feel the same way, but I hope that doesn't ruin our friendship because like, I really love being friends with you. And he was like, yeah, okay, no worries. And I continued to stay there. He did a lot of drugs. Like, I think there was a lot of sketchy stuff going on behind the scenes that I was just turning a blind eye to. Yeah. And then the one night we're having a drink. And at this point I've been drinking a lot. My tolerance is super high and it's the first drink of the day. And he was like, hey, do you want a drink? I think it was like a rum and root beer or something. And I was like, yeah, sure. And then he kind of turns his back to me. He's in the kitchen. I'm sitting at the island. And he's like, it takes a few minutes. He's mixing up a drink, gives it to me. And I get like halfway through the drink and I'm starting to feel really weird.
0: Oh,
1: no. And I'm feeling
2: really like dizzy and lightheaded. And I'm like, oh, like something feels wrong.
1: Yeah. And
2: I'm not thinking anything of it. I'm just like, oh, weird. I don't know. I'm feeling lightheaded. Something's weird. And I like keep drinking a little bit. I'm not even through like my full drink. And I look at him and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to fall. And I'm like, I'm not feeling very good. And I fell off the chair that I was sitting on and I like crawled over to the couch. And then I black out and I don't remember like a big chunk of time. I don't know if it was half an hour or hours later I don't know how much time had passed then I like come to and he's on top of me and I have this visual image in my mind forever yeah. of what was happening and then I just I lost consciousness again when I come to again I feel very weak but I'm like my body is like violently ill And I just get up like this because I need to vomit. And then like he rolls off of me and I just start vomiting all over him, which is like the one good thing about this. Yeah,
1: no kidding. kidding. I got
2: really sick. The next morning he said to me, he's like, wow, you sure got drunk last night. Yeah, you got wasted. And this is where I just, I went into this like denial mode. I was like, yeah, I guess so. And I felt Hmm. really uncomfortable. And I was like, obviously I need to get out of here. He went to work. I packed my bag. I called one of the friends that I made in Calgary and got them to drive me to their house. And I never hung out with him again. I didn't think about it after that. I didn't. It's like I just deleted it from my brain. And I was like, no, that didn't happen. And I just Mm. carried on. It wasn't until about a year and a half ago, I was driving home from work and this song came on and it was a song that we were listening to a lot over the, that two week period that I was staying at his house. And it just, it all just hit me. Yeah. Like that visual image, that whole scenario, it like came back to me and I pulled over and I was just sobbing and I admitted to myself out loud. I was like, you were raped. Yeah. You were robbed and raped. That happened to you. Yeah. That happened. Oh, and gosh. I was in shock, like realizing this. I've known it for years and I've never thought about it. I've never admitted it to myself. I don't think people really realize. I I think that people just don't understand how trauma works and how the things that our brain does to help us survive and get through it. I've heard lots of women be criticized for You know, why didn't you, obviously that didn't happen if you weren't really bothered by it. Like you didn't, you were fine. Wouldn't you be like upset? Wouldn't you react like this? Wouldn't you have done this? Wouldn't you have told someone? Wouldn't you have, but it's like, no, actually, no, I don't think I I could have dealt with it at that time. And I think because there's so many parts of like my life experience that have been hard to process, that's exactly what I've experienced like over the last let's say five years where little pieces are like presented to me. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, now there's this thing. A person doesn't have the space to deal with it all at once. Like you, you can't actually do that. So yeah, I find my brain will just be like, oh, now here's this thing that I need to look at and walk through. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah. Can I get a break? Can I just take a time out? Yeah, I don't
0: know. I guess that's just not what I signed up for. Right? So did you yeah. do anything with this realization? Was there a time that you thought about telling someone going to the police?
2: Yeah. So like, when I got home, I told my partner about it. He was like, wow, because I just walked in the door just bawling. And he's like, "Whoa! what happened? Since then, it's happened more often. As I'm processing a lot of this trauma, yeah. Yeah. I'm through the door crying. And he's like, okay, what's going on now? What's yeah. <laughs> his soul? He's incredible. But he said to me, he's like, you want to do something about this cast? Do you want to press charges? What do you want to do? And I was like, oh, wild. I would have never thought about that. That's That wasn't even something that I had considered or like a reality in my head. Because I grew up in this world where yeah, no, this stuff happens. And then you just live with it. You just deal with it. And all of the women in my family have experienced this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And they just live with it. And my mom, yeah, she did press charges. And she always told me that she regretted it because it was so traumatizing, -traumatizing re-traumatizing and traumatizing itself to have to go through all of those court proceedings Mm -hmm. and like, the whole legal system. It was just awful. I knew that I didn't want to do anything about it because I don't think I could have taken that on myself. Yeah. Yeah. So like at this point, I was in school for mental health and addictions counseling. And towards like kind of the end of the program, I started seeing a counselor at the Saskatoon Sexual Assault Center. And so I I brought it up to her and I was like, this all kind of came flooding back to me and now I'm having to really face for the first time and process the fact that this happened. And she's been an absolute life raft, like she's helped me through so much and I'm so thankful for those services that we have here. It's incredible. And so she helped me do a lot of work around like really the shame, she helped me to realize that my whole life I have been carrying layers and layers of shame about who I am and about a million different things. Yeah. These beliefs that, like, I should have protected myself better and it's my fault that I didn't. And shame around the fact that my biological father did this thing to me and that makes me a disgusting human being and that was crushing me every day in every part of my life. My self-esteem was destroyed, yeah. and I learned how to mask it pretty well sometimes. I've been told by many people in my life that, like, I hide things really well, and I can put on this front, like, everything's great, you know, yeah. and I'm doing great, and I'm high-functioning, but inside I'm just suffering so much. Yeah. And she told me in one session, my counselor said to me, like, Past, this isn't your shame. Did you know that? It's not yours. It's actually his and theirs. Wow. And they were carrying it around and it was making them sick and they couldn't live with themselves. And so they dumped it onto you and they gave it to you. And you just picked it up and you started carrying it, but it's not yours. Wow. It doesn't have your name on it, so you don't have to carry it anymore. And that blew my mind. <laughs> yeah,
0: like, that's powerful. Like, wow, that's very powerful. Yeah.
2: And I think a part of the reason why that was so impactful to me was because I trusted her because we had built this relationship. And I, she never told me like just fluffy things that sounded nice. Mm-hmm. She didn't just offer me these empty platitudes. So when she would tell me something, it was like, I believe you. That was a huge shift for me. And then the second thing that I really started to learn was how to stand up for myself and how to take my power back. I learned how to do that through speaking, through talking, through establishing my boundaries, through telling my story like I am now, owning it and being like, this is me, this is what's mine, This is what's theirs. This is who I am, and really just embodying myself through saying what I need
1: to say. Yeah. So when you were going to school for drug addiction—not for drug (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: addiction—yeah,
1: was your main goal to work at a at a center like you're working at to help other people and to make a safe place for other people who are struggling?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Although I have definitely abused alcohol and drugs Mm in my 20s. I've never experienced straight up like actual addiction to drugs or alcohol, to other things, yes. (laughs) I read Dr. Gabor Mate's In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts and he's a doctor who worked on the downtown East Side, East Hastings in Vancouver for a dozen years. Primarily just worked with people who were living on the streets and using drugs. I read his book and it really just highlighted this different way of looking at it. Not why the addiction, but why the pain? And like, what happened to these people? There's so much trauma at the base of mental health and addictions. And there's some genetic factors and there's other factors involved too, but we don't talk about, or we hadn't until like recent years, we're talking about it more, that trauma is such a huge factor in mental health and addictions. And when I read that, I was like, oh my God, that seems so obvious. Why had I never really thought about that before? And it helped me make sense of what was going on in my family yeah. because one thing I didn't talk about a lot, but there's there was a lot of addiction. Like I, I had this like full buffet like tasting of all types of different addictions mm-hmm. in the different homes that I lived in. So I could really relate to the trauma that creates addiction. And although my trauma didn't manifest in a substance use addiction. It manifested in different ways. It manifested in mental health disorders and just like ways that my brain works that is not helpful for me and really makes life difficult. Yeah. And it plays out in many other areas of my life. I struggle with some similar things that people with substance use disorder struggle with because my brain works in a similar way. So like after I graduated from school, things with my mental health started to escalate. So like around 24, is when I first started to experience what I now know as anxiety and Mm -hmm. the symptoms of PTSD really started to show. And then it progressed and evolved over the years and in some ways got worse. I didn't realize what was happening to me. But for the past several years, I've been experiencing, I guess you could call them like panic attacks. I just call them like episodes. So that night that I talked about where something snapped in me and I just started beating the shit out of my biological mm-hmm. dad and I had no control over my body and I just started screaming and crying and hyperventilating. For the past several years, I started having those episodes. So like wow, some triggers would happen in my day or my environment. And then it would start off as maybe a panic attack. And I would just be like, Oh, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe, you know, <laughs> I kind of freak mm-hmm. out. And then all of a sudden, something would just hit me and I would just start bawling, And then it would turn to screaming and rage. And I would just like, all of these things would just be like bursting out of me. And it sounds insane. I'm sure there's a lot of people that I know, or if I told them that this happens to me or that, like, my partner watches, helps me through this, they'd be like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. I'm nuts. But this is the, I, this is what happens. Yeah. I don't know. And the body's I I would, way of
0: dealing yeah. with it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I feel out of body. I feel... I'm somewhere way back here watching it all happen and I have no control over what's coming out of my mouth, over what my body's doing. This will go on for maybe half an hour, maybe a couple hours until I'm vomiting. And as I'm coming back into my body, my limbs are numb and I can't feel anything. My partner will tell me, you were screaming, I hate you. And you sounded enraged. And I was like, what? I don't remember that. I don't have a memory of saying that. Wow. I don't know why I was saying that. And so these things would happen and I was dealing with anxiety all the time. And then and then when certain triggers would pop up, the anxiety would get way worse for an extended period of time. And then it would turn into depression. So I'd start to feel hopeless. Am I ever going to be able to just be okay? So here I am at work. It's been a year now in August since I've actually been in the field and yeah. like working as a counselor. And my worst fear was always having one of these episodes at work. I always was terrified that, oh, like certain events will happen. And then I might just, something might just happen at work. And that ended up happening. My worst fear came true. Just this last April, the end of April, I've been working in a clinic where our focus is harm reduction. I have a massive caseload of patients and it's like high risk work. Like our clients are all like, in, in high risk situations, like HIV positive, experiencing homelessness, all sorts of things going on. And so it's very intense, but I love it. I absolutely adore it. I'm at work and I get this feeling like I need to text my stepdad. It's just like, just this weird feeling. My stepdad has moved a couple provinces away with my youngest brother, who's on the spectrum. I hadn't talked to them for a while. And so I texted him and I was like, hey, how's everything going? That evening, he responded, and he's like, it's funny you ask, can I give you a call? He calls me, and he's like, look, your brother is in jail right now, and he has been for a bit. He's probably being released in a couple weeks, and he can't stay here anymore, and I can't take care of him anymore. When he was 18, there was a government assessment done with him, and they determined that he would always have to have a guardian someone that has guardianship. And he's like, remember when we had that conversation where you agreed to being like his kind of like plan B backup yeah. guardian, if anything happened, happen. And he's like, we're calling on you now. And how old was he? My brother? Yeah. 24. Okay. And yeah, so he's basically the situation was when my brother's released from jail, he was going to essentially be homeless if I didn't take him in. And of course, a huge part of my work is like trying to help people out of homelessness
0: or Mm -hmm. prevent
2: homelessness. I couldn't see my own brother and I love him. I love him. And it was disclosed to me like the nature of his offense, which was a sexual crime that was really intense to try to process. I just felt like I was in this impossible situation because it was quite (laughs) upsetting for me to hear that my brother had done this thing. But I didn't want to just like throw him away either. And I believe in supporting all people. I believe in like giving all people a chance to change and grow. And maybe if they're given the support that they need, maybe things can be turned around. At least try. And so he moved here, moved into my house with me and my partner. And um, it was a rough ride. It was a really rough ride. His brain works differently, it always has. He has a difficult time seeing things the same way that we do and understanding things the same way. I had to have a lot of very candid, difficult conversations with him about things that, I don't know, there's some days I'd just be like, am I cursed? Why am I in this situation? I've been through all of the sexual trauma and now I have a sexual offender who is also my brother living in my house and I'm having to explain to him what it's like for a survivor and why what he like the impacts of what he did it's just unreal and he's needing so much support and so much help emotionally and he's struggling with depression and so I'm basically his case manager trying to pull together all of these services for him and I have a mountain of paperwork to go through all the time and meetings and appointments and taking him here and there and getting him set up with every little area of his life. And it's like this massive job that I never could have imagined. You can't even explain unless you're like in the situation. And then one day I go to work in the morning because I'm still working full time as I'm doing this. And I go to work in the morning and I'm listening to my voicemails and I'm like, okay, I got to dive into this mountain of work. And I put the pen to the paper and I'm like, okay, I got to start like writing down the the mountain of tasks I need to get through today and people I need to help and I kept trying to write the first name and my brain just kept going. It just kept turning off. It's, I guess, dissociation. I just kept dissociating, mm-hmm. like leaving my body. And I just kept, I was just like probably sitting there for 10 minutes, just trying to listen to the same message over and write it oh. down. And I couldn't focus. Yeah. And then I started having a panic attack and I'm sitting in my office and my coworkers, like my doors open and my coworkers are sitting right here, right in the other office. They're like 10 feet away from me. I'm like, oh my God, you're having, okay, I'm having a panic attack. I need to stop it. I need to stop it. I need to catch my breath. You're at work. You can't, this can't happen here. And then of course those thoughts made it worse. Yeah. And then I was like really gasping for breath. I couldn't feel my arms or my hands or my face. And I'm just like, Oh my God, this is happening. And then my coworkers look over and they are hearing me gasping for breath and they come over and they're like, what's going on? What's going on? And I'm like, "Ah, ah." and every time I try to talk, these like kind of screams start trying to come out and I I start falling. and they're like, tell me what's going on. And I'm like, okay, this isn't happening. I'm having a full blown meltdown at work. My supervisor comes in, he's sitting with me, close the door and he's watching me just lose my mind. I don't know how long it took. It probably took me like an hour to pull it together and calm down and have a conversation with him. And I basically just said, I can't do this. 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 That's like all I could say. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I have to go home. And I just like left and I went home and I didn't go back to work for three and a half months. Wow. I ended up going to emerge at the hospital, like a couple weeks later, because my anxiety was so intense, like I couldn't leave my room for a week, the depression was so intense. And I'm having I have this pressure, I need to be taking care of my brother, I I basically just abandoned him. And I couldn't like I couldn't function. And so I couldn't help him. And he was worried about me. And he was freaked out. And I started to just have these thoughts of I can't be here anymore. Like Mm -hmm. I actually can't like I don't think I was ever supposed to be here. I don't think I can live life. It's too much. It never ends. It's all of this stuff all the time. I'm always having to like work through all this stuff going on with my mental health. And I'm exhausted. I just want to live a normal life. I just want to feel okay. And I can't. I don't have that option. It's not available to me. And so Mm -hmm. I need to leave. Like I need to leave my body for good. I'm having these thoughts For days. The one day I'm just like still haven't left my bed. It's two in the afternoon. And I just can't stop crying. And I'm just so anxious. I just I went downstairs and I said to my partner, I was like, you need to take me to the hospital. Because all I can think about is like ways to end my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm feeling really impulsive and I'm afraid of myself. I don't know what I'm gonna do. But I don't feel okay. And I don't know if I'm ever gonna be okay. And you need to take me to the hospital. And so he was like Oh my God! Okay, so he takes me to the hospital, and thankfully, I think it's because it was two in the afternoon. I didn't have to wait that long. Mm-hmm. And I'm a psychiatrist. I know a lot of people have really negative experiences at the hospital. Mm-hmm. I know most of my patients have had really bad experiences, like in the healthcare system. And so, I acknowledge that as I say that I had a good experience, but that was a really. That was the best thing that I could have done that day. I was connected to all the support that I needed. I was prescribed a medication that worked really well for me. I was connected to a psych nurse that was like my life raft for a few weeks. And I was connected to a psychiatrist that I'm still seeing that's like helpful. I got a diagnosis of PTSD and then went subsequently anxiety and depression of course and then I got diagnosed with ADHD as well which was like mind-blowing to me because I'm like what okay ADHD isn't what I thought it was and this actually explains so many of the things that go on for me and the way that my brain works so that was really helpful during my leave I just focused on therapy I went to therapy three times a week That's amazing. And yeah, I just took care of myself, focused on myself. And it took me two months to get over the guilt and shame of what happened at work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Having that breakdown and having to go on leave. That was pretty crushing for a while. But I worked through it with therapy and I accepted it. And I was like, this is me. And there's many parts to me. I am not mental illness. I am not my mental disorders. I am not my trauma. I am not all of these things. I am not... The girl who just had a meltdown at work and is freaking crazy. Yeah. There are many parts to me. Like I'm a great counselor. I'm a compassionate helper. I'm a loving wife. I'm a loving family member. Like I'm a fun friend or this or that. There's all of these other parts to me. And I had to really work through some more of that shame that I was carrying. And I guess like really strengthen my relationship with myself and get more okay with me. And yeah, that time was extremely valuable. God, I feel just like so proud of you.
0: Absolutely. Oh,
2: thank you. Yeah. And I thank my therapists like so much. They have been incredible helps. And to be honest, if you're out there and you have not found a therapist that you click with, I feel you. I yeah. honestly, I looked for 10 years. I've been going to therapy for years. Yeah. But I had never really found someone that like I really clicked with it. It really vibed and it was really impactful. I hadn't had that experience until this summer. And I don't know, maybe some people talk about God or angels. I call it the invisible audience. Yeah. I'm like maybe the invisible audience was like, okay, let's just throw her something a here. Bone, yeah. Therapy, at least, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think it's a very important conversation to have a uh, mm. conversation about privilege. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Some of us don't have that privilege. And yeah. I hadn't until this spring because. Up until this spring I don't have time to have a breakdown right now yeah
1: that can't
2: happen because I'm in school and I can't just throw away that money we're not made of it so this is my one shot and I got to do it or like I'm working and yeah if I just don't go to work for three months I don't have that job I don't right. have that income, and then I don't have a good reference either people don't generally have the time or the resources the space yeah. or the money to do this, because I'll tell you, like, therapy is really expensive. Absolutely. And if you don't have benefits, or maybe you do, but it's $300 or $600 mm-hmm. at $120 or $150 an hour, you know. Well,
1: you're like, just getting started, and then you're done. Yeah.
0: yeah. And how is yeah. it today? Does your brother still live with you? No. So it took a while for
2: my, <laughs> two of my therapists to convince me that Cassie, this isn't working. It's not Mm -hmm. working. You can't do this. Like it's going to just drive you into the ground and we can make a different plan. And so it took me a while to come around and let go of the guilt to set all this in motion. But this summer got him set up with his own apartment. Oh, wow. And it's taken a long time to get all of the services of support, like, activated. So, like, he has that. And it's still not complete. Like, there's still pieces that we're working on and trying to get... He's still struggling. He's having a really hard time right now. It's not easy. But, yeah, I had to face the fact that it was extremely triggering to have him live in my home. And I wasn't going to be okay mentally as long as he was living in my house. And I had to accept that that's okay. That doesn't make me a bad sister. I'm repulsed by parts of him Uh, yeah a lot of acceptance had to happen and so yeah now I feel that I have a little bit more space so that this can all be manageable I can manage my mental health I can manage my work and I can manage supporting my brother better now and it's not perfect and it's not easy and I'm not healed and I'm not cured of anything yeah and I acknowledge that like I'm going to be working on and Trying to balance my mental health and my family situation and all this stuff for the rest of my life, for sure. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's going to feel impossible, and sometimes it might feel a little
0: bit manageable. And that's
2: just the way it's going to be. That's yeah, amazing. Absolutely.
0: Oh, and wow. your story is, like, heartbreaking, but I just, like I said, I feel so proud of you. Absolutely. With the generational trauma that your family has yeah, endured, yeah. you could have so easily gone down such a different path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you going to write a book? I feel like you should. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I am okay, trying to write a book. And I do love writing. Yeah. But now like understanding my ADHD brain totally. has been so Because I'm like, oh this is why I'm struggling. Yeah. Like, like, I I do write regularly and I'm for now because I flip from story to story to piece to piece, to piece and my brother was like, "Oh, no, okay, no, delete all that, and then we're gonna tell. It ADHD, we're gonna tell. It. And yeah, like, you really tell from this conversation that I'm just like, how do we? I could just talk for hours about everything.
1: Carly and I, I-, I both have ADHD, so we definitely get it. There's so many stories out there that need to be told. And this is why we have this platform too, so that people can connect and not feel alone.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And like I have felt so alone in so many of these things, like with my brother. Has anyone
0: else? like, yeah. anybody else ever? experiencing this? Yeah, like, but they have. And that's the thing. Yeah, that's why these yeah. stories need to be shared, because they have and they are. And the best thing we can do is share these with people so people don't feel so alone. Yeah. Cassie, thank you so much for writing to us and being on our show. And it's some really hard topics and I hope you feel empowered and good about sharing it because it's a story that needs to be told. Yeah,
2: no, absolutely. It is very empowering to when, when you're ready to tell your story and take ownership over over it and be like, Hey, this is me.
0: (laughs) Awesome. We'll let you get on with your day. I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend And we will talk to you really soon. Yeah, sounds good. All right, guys. Talk to you later.
1: Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. Kathy, thank you so much for being on our podcast.
1: Yes, thank you. Her story is very important.
0: Yeah, I'm so proud of her for feeling in a place where she can share it and feel good about sharing it. Absolutely. Also, we always forget to talk about our merch store.
1: Yeah. But we have some we like have cutie patootie store.
0: merch in our store that you can find on our Instagram link, and you can also find it by going to our website www.ididnotsignupforthis.ca not sign up for this dot ca.
1: You meet you missed the http dot dot forward slash worldwide Do you Lab. know what the
0: dot dot me is, what it's called? A
1: colon? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a dot dot. Okay. Dot dot. We made a bunch of new merged designs. We have a lot of different things to choose from. We even have digital things that you can just buy the file yeah. of and then print it off yourself. We have stickers. We have water bottles. We have mugs. We have notebooks. We have shirts, hoodies.
0: Holy cannoli. That's a lot of stuff.
1: All sorts of stuff. So yeah, check it out. Some people have ordered and they have got their stuff pretty quickly. It seems to be going pretty well. Yeah,
0: I think we'll just keep it short and sweet because our intro was longer. But I hope everybody has a great week. I hope so, too. If you haven't already, join our Facebook group. It is a great place to be. It is. And follow us on all the social media.
1: Yes. Follow us on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. We are there. I don't know what I'm doing over there, but it scares me. But we are on
0: LinkedIn. We're everywhere.
1: We're everywhere. Find us.
0: Find us. Or we'll find you.
1: Oh, God.
0: That's a <laughs> All right. Have a great week, and we will talk to you later. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye.